Listening to your favorite podcast? That's smart. Earning your degree online from Southern New Hampshire University? That's really smart. With 24-7 access to coursework, no set class times, and dedicated student support, you can go to school when and where it works for you. Low online tuition means you can even do it for less. And dedicated student support means we'll be with you from day one to graduation and beyond. Join a community of learners just like you. Go to snhu.edu today to start your free application. The legends are true. Overwhelming power. sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of McDonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. Hello, everybody. It's your sassy talking Wookiee hanging out with uh, Mission Bruiser Holden McNeely. Jake, how did I do? You did great. It's me, your <laughs> daring pilot, scoundrel, rogue, who's kind of like Han Solo. But don't talk to me about how I have trust issues. Please talk to me about my trust issues. Uh, good guy, Karth Bruiser, Jake. <laughs> Today we have a guest. And I am grumpy old black man in the middle of the forest, <laughs> sick of all of the Jedi crap, and just kind of done with it, and is just living out his old Yoda life hermit. Uh <laughs> James Little V Mills Jolie Bindo. <laughs> Dude, thank you so much for joining us today on this episode. Hey, thanks for having me. Uh, oh, and it's me, Vandar Tokar, I am. Oh, I'm right. like Yoda, but I get a last name for some reason. Jake, I get a last him. name. Last name I get. I'm Yoda, but I have a last name. <laughs> I hate I hated all of that. Um, and, and today is actually a uh, Patreon-funded episode, so we want to thank you. Uh, and you are Evan. Evan Hesseling, thank you so much. Uh, I am starting to stream games on Twitch, says Evan. I am not trying to become a professional streamer or make money, just trying to rekindle my passion for games by playing through some of my all-time favorites. During this journey, I will be promoting different charities that I will ask people to donate to. My Twitch name is Stairway underscore the number two, E-V-A-N, Stairway to Evan. And I, I stream it. I get it. on Sundays from 6 to 10 and Fridays from 7 to 11 EST. Thanks. Thank you, Evan. Again, that's twitch.tv forward slash stairway underscore the number two and then the name evan all right back to the show (laughs) guys is it going to be tough to talk about what many people consider the only good star wars story (laughs) hmm it's the 2000s man the prequels were a little bit of a disappointment the sequels are, are just a far off dream uh, but on my Xbox, there's this amazing product, this bizarre new thing that's going to take over how I perceive waving a laser sword and talking about how uh, withholding my emotions is the true source of power. Now, Little V, we we usually start with what we call the gush, all right? And that's essentially your your relationship with whatever thing we're talking about, your love of the thing and whatnot. I will start, uh, I, this game was definitely a periphery thing for me. 
I ended up really getting into Bioware like much later and way after the Mass Effect trilogy had been out. And then I picked that up. And now going back to KOTOR for this episode, I'm like, oh, I totally get this. This is awesome. Even now today, which is shocking when graphically and whatnot, obviously it's incredibly dated. And yet I still see the really fun, good game in there. And and, lo- and I'm loving this part in Bioware's history, essentially. Uh, and... I would just say, yeah, my friends were all playing it. I looked at it and I was just like, this seems interesting. Uh, I wasn't into that type of RPG at that time. I would end up getting into that, obviously, as I said, later. But uh, I was definitely always curious about it. But it really has been more of, for me, an eye-opener this week in terms of like, oh, wow, this is, it's a real testament to the game that it is still obviously a really good game, even though, man, it is super dupe dated. Jake, did you play it back in the day? Uh, no, Holden. I was a greasy, fat, uh, dumb, um, <laughs> stinky, uh, pornography addicted, yes. uh, kleptomaniac, habitual liar. Broke uh, his hand. He scaly, masturbated so much. Yes, yes, Scaly, uh, wart riddled. Um, I had a shrill voice that nobody enjoyed. Keep uh, it coming, loving oh, this. Oh, 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 I know this one. I know this one. Every North American teenager. Got it, got it. I know this one. I know this answer. And because of my just just uh, chubby, slimy hands and dum-dum brain, I obviously gravitated towards the twitch action, reflex-based, psychometric overload that was Jedi Out- Jedi Knight 2 Jedi Outcast. Uh, KOTOR was for, for brains and for math nerds and for <laughs> yeah, just slow people that liked uh, picking uh, dialogue options and waiting to see if the number between 1 and 10 appeared above an enemy's head. Not me, though. Boom, 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 boom. Kyle Katarn all the way, baby. <laughs> so you've also experienced this game largely just over the course of the past like week or so that we've been researching it it is my experience is solely based on the myriad upon myriad upon myriad of uh bastila revan couples cosplays that i was exposed to (laughs) from going to anime conventions in the 2000s i did not touch these games until the uh we started researching and that's why little v comes in little v what do you got for us all right so i uh, there was this. This was okay. Let me let me think here. It's way back to what was this? Two thousand three, two thousand four, two thousand three. We're two thousand three. We're well into a post nine eleven uh, culture. <laughs> um, it is. Ooh, we're going that way, are we? Okay. <laughs> it's, it's very dark. So right? I am. So I am the ripe old age of eleven or twelve at this point, and all my friends are buying. Halo, this great new big thing <laughs> called Halo, and I'm like, all right, well, I I can't I can't miss out on that. I gotta I gotta play the Halo, so I you know beg my parents to buy me an Xbox, and what came with the Xbox was a uh, obviously they got Halo, but what came with the, the thing for a Christmas present was uh, a tie-in of Mech Assault and Kotor. And I'm like, wait a minute, I love Star Wars. I've grown up with Star Wars. I've I've definitely snapped a controller at at before hitting double digits playing the old SNES uh, Star Wars games, if Oof. you're familiar with the Super Star Wars ones. Those oh, are yeah. uh, those are rough. Um, and uh, I went, all right, let me get into this, and proceeded to uh, basically spark my love of RPGs going forward. Because, yeah, not only was it a really good RPG, I also prior to this, I had never had any sort of experience with any kind of like D&D kind of style mm-hmm. game, which years later I now realize that's what it was modeled after. Um, but just playing it, just the quality of voice acting, the quality of 
of writing and the story and just the fun mechanics of and, and being able to go back and be like, oh, well, let me try doing it this way. Let me try building a character this way. Let me try, oh, what happens if I don't? stab the guy in the neck what happens if <laughs> i stab this guy in the neck instead oh my and, god uh, <laughs> right up, right right off the bat right off the bat can we talk about how the morality in kotor one is so mm. fucking bonkers we're like oh it's my favorite because we we hold and we talk about this all the time like we don't want to play as goody two shoes but like but every time i'm an a- i i tried to, to be an asshole i was like i'm gonna do it this is the time i'm gonna do it i'm finally I'm gonna, gonna be, be dark i'm gonna go dark side dark side's a cool side it's fun it's got cool powers immediately i'm like i don't want to be a dick to this person i want it's to be not nice. even be a dick it's not i wish it was be a dick yeah there's lots of be a dick options but like right off the bat like before you even get it like before you even know the name of the planet you're on like it's either like give five dollars to a homeless person or kill this lady just fucking murder this woman like it's, it's insane Dude. Early 2000s morality when they hadn't played. I love it. It's the best. It's like, are you space Jesus or are you space Hitler? It's- I wish Hitler. Hitler had like, KOTOR 2 is space Hitler. KOTOR 1 is space Jeffrey Dahmer. It's like not even. It's real visceral, real personal, real fast. So a young 12-year-old you is loving being a space Hitler and everything's going great. Absolutely. Of course, who wouldn't? No, especially at that time, it was just like, well, I guess I got to play Goody Two-Shoes and... Because that was the that was the Star Wars option, right? Of course, I'm right. I'm not quite there yet, and it honestly it took me probably a long time to really fully commit to a dark side run, just because it's so brutally evil. <laughs> it's it's like cartoonishly evil. Like there's there's being self serving evil, right? You know, make the make the bad decision to da 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 da. You know, get some extra cash, but then there's just like, yeah, I'm just gonna sta- I'm just gonna shoot this guy. <laughs> Did you benefit? No. No, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna blast them. I just, need my line. Okay. To, I need the red line to go down. I need the arrow to go down. So I'm gonna shoot this guy. <laughs> the um, exactly. Oh my god, it's it's kind of amazing that, uh, especially if you look at the endings in Kotor One, the dark side ending is actually. Ooh, okay. I think we have to acknowledge this right off the bat. I know it's one of the big, like, twists in gaming history, but we're going to have to go spoilers for this episode, right? Uh, yeah, this are is... We gonna, are I, we going to talk about it? Okay. Yeah, I, I think, think we're, we're full gonna spoilers for Night Seal Republic. Maybe we'll we'll kind of tee it up when we get... Do you want to talk about it now? Or, yeah, we'll or, talk about it later. We'll talk about we'll it later. We'll tee it up just later. Anyways, so you, you... Until then, we'll... Yeah. You've since played Night Seal Republic uh, several times. You've done... You just did a Let's Play, right? Um, posted yep. online. Of KOTOR uh, 2. KOTOR 2... Specifically, yes. And you, I, over I, on uh, Wooly Versus. Ha-ha. Hell yeah. Part of the show. <laughs> and I caught, I caught a little of that, and I caught a little of you feel that KOTOR 2 is the superior game? Okay, so as a kid, I obviously preferred KOTOR 1 because it was finished. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll get into that. We'll get into all um, that, too. We'll get it there. Uh, as an adult and understanding the subtext more of, uh, of KOTOR 2, I think KOTOR 2 is the superior story. Mm. Star we read and has some cool uh, has some cool mechanics, uh, really cool, interesting mechanics. But I think as an all around Star Wars experience, like the Star Wars experience, Kotor One is the superior. Like if you just want, like I want to be the Luke Skywalker, run through it, have a good old time, have a great story, and wrap it up, and not think about the the nature of good and evil while I'm also doing this. Then that's mm. probably the better game. Very good. All right. Well, 
let's get into it, shall we? Let's uh, uh, a, a brief synopsis, a whole eleven minutes into the into the episode. But yes, uh, Knights of the Old Republic, Star Wars Knights of the Old Republic is a role playing game set in the Star Wars universe, developed by Bioware and published by LucasArts. And I'm really glad you brought that up, little V, about how it introduced you in a lot of ways to like D and D mechanics and things. I think that's one of the strongest things that that first game especially does is introduce a whole generation of people to D twenty style you know, RPG stuff that never probably would have gotten into it. So it's released on Xbox in July of 2003 and for Windows uh, later that year. It takes place almost 4,000 years before the formation of the Galactic Galactic Empire and centers around Darth Malak, a Darth Lord of the Sith, unleashing a Sith armada against the Republic. They had to go all the way to 4,000 years before just to make sure George Lucas would firmly not be up their ass, I think, in terms of (laughs) creating this story and and really getting to play, because this is while the prequel movies are coming out, and they were like, hey, you could do Attack of the Clones, and they're like, I don't want that (laughs) heat on me right now. That's the last place I want to be. So yeah, you play as a Jedi that must set out to different planets in an effort to defeat Malak, and there is an alignment system that we already talked about, of course, the light side or the dark side. You can go either way. But come on. Do you really want to be an asshole? I mean, please. It's, it's this is really- already we're at like a brilliant decision that made this game great because in the in a new hope, uh, you know, uh, Mr. Alec Guinness, Ben Kenobi, he wasn't even Obi-Wan yet. He's just a desert freak that our hero just kind of stumbles upon. Uh, just rattles off like, for a thousand generations, the Jedi Knights were guardians of peace and justice in the Old Republic, before the dark times, before the Empire. So, like, it's built into Star Wars canon, like, from the get-go that, like, oh, there was a bunch of really cool, ch- like, all the cool shit you like about about this universe, it was, like, a thousand times cooler uh, a long time ago. We're just, like, getting shadows of what we can reasonably achieve with practical effects of cool shit. So, like, setting it in an era that, like, was always suggested that there were thousands of Jedis running around fighting giants, the actual wars, instead of, let's agree, in canon, in the uh, in the original trilogy, it's more of, like, star skirmishes, st- like, star mm-hmm. melees, like, uh-huh. I'm talking full-on wars, uh, was always, like, just a hint of the past, and just... Like, there's almost no limit to the stories you can tell from that setting. And with cool warring entities like Mandalorians and stuff, which I think is also yeah. what people wanted. Yeah. So it's like, so from the get-go, like, they fa- they kind of found a cheat. Like, they didn't have to make a bad movie tie-in game. They got to make a story that they could go full balls to the wall because they had that single sentence and, uh, you know, uh, some expanded universe comics and novels that they could be like, oh, we're going to set our game in the in the cool times we're gonna just go ahead and just be in the cool zone and you guys can have fun in the uh ramblings of an aging weird millionaire director guy zone (laughs) and this is the weird thing yeah so little v what is your because i don't want to sit here a and shit on the prequels too much if you uh if they're beloved to you (laughs) and then where were you at when it came to your relationship with star wars at the time this game came out because it's so crazy at that point all right, so I but you were pretty 12. much was grown up on yeah exactly. I was grown up. I grew up on Star Wars. My parents had the VHS copies pre special editions, so I never, I never experienced any of the the awkward CG in front of the uh, in front of the camera until way later. And now, 
I know they're somewhere in my parents' place, and I want to just rip them off VHS and and watch the original because it's like I, you can't find them anymore. My brother uh, has, but uh, my brother has the VHS. I love them so. Uh, yeah, it's it's like yeah, it's so ne- it's, it's a superior version. Assuming you don't have the the VHS that is you know completely garbled at this point. But um, yeah, so prequels came out. I actually I have a very vivid memory of I think I back to back watched. Um, the Phantom Menace and the Pokemon movie at a theater. Hell I think they yeah. both came out the same weekend. And uh, yeah, because I got the, uh, they were handing out the holographic Mew cards. And oh, uh, I remember basically just double featuring it, just like, yeah, let's watch both. And it was just like, let's do it, do it. And I remember coming in and out of Pokemon and being like, yeah, that was great. And then coming in and out of Phantom Menace and going, Oh, <laughs> all right. You knew at that time. Well, I actually was like, I was oh. a denial person. I, I walked out of episode one and I was just like, that was good, right? It was good. Like, and I saw it again in the theater. I also, by the way, I want to throw it out there. I'm in the same club. I didn't see them both on the same day, but I also saw Pokemon in the movies. And I, by the way, though, am also quite a, a little bit older than you. I was definitely well into high school and um, got and got very high with a friend and went and saw that and did not regret it. <laughs> Speaking but, of the Pokemon uh, movie, R.I.P. Herman Cain. You're you're floating with the uh, Pokemon now. Your our mm. hearts and prayers go out to you. So you are ha- you are in the camp at this point where you're like a little conflicted. I, f- I feel like we all were a little conflicted around that time with the whole Star Wars as a whole because of because of the the nature of the prequels. So I, here's the thing. The prequels, I think at this point, I mean, it's been done to death and I don't want to be another one of those Star Wars fans. Right. Like, uh, yeah, we but, don't, uh, exactly. Like, we don't I, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> They're not good movies. <laughs> yeah. But I would rather watch a one out of 10 than a five out of 10, <laughs> if you know what I mean. Yes. Right? Yes. Like there is value to a bad movie and there's there's some camp, there's some cheesy stuff for the prequels I really enjoy. There's some there's some ugh. there's some stuff I repressed. I actually recently rewatched the prequels and just in prep for the well, you know, the movie that came out late last year. I won't even I won't even utter its name because we don't want to go down that route. Uh, and uh, which is now below Phantom Menace for me. Uh, and, wow. Uh, that's that's how that's that's my reception of it. How but, fucked anyways, up is this? Um, I still haven't seen it because of the reaction don't, to it. I you're not missing anything. Not, you're fine. And I, you're I fine. have Disney Plus. I, I can watch it right now. <laughs> my my the, the 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 best thing I can say about it is well the silver lining is I can now write the entire sequel trilogy off as like someone's fan canon and we'll <laughs> just pretend it's Kyle Gitarn and it never wasn't ever Kyle Gitarn. So anyways, it's Im- but um, it's important to say that like the Kotor came out at a time when people were hyped up for Star Wars and what they ended up yeah. getting from that hype wave maybe wasn't what they were looking for. Yeah. But in KOTOR, they actually found something that hit those familiar themes, uh, those big uh, heroism, the big yeah. universe. And, and not only that, but to have a game in, yeah, 2003 that's fully voiced and fully voiced well and the writing's good and the acting is good and it's just like, oh, this is, it's like I'm playing a movie, which I know is now in, you know, 2020 is you know kind of like the standard but like 2003 like only a only a few years before that it's still like i'm thinking perfect dark with the block hands and Uh the mouth those the the big blockheads that don't move and or like ff7 where it's just all text based and everyone just looks like janky spikes Mm -hmm. and and then all of a sudden here is a very good looking even even looking back on playing from what is it 17 years ago now still doesn't look bad Mm -hmm. and like it's just like oh here's the quality everyone was looking for it was it's right here on this disc 
that came packaged with an Xbox. <laughs> it's KOTOR and Morrowind just completely changed the game for RPGs yeah. and really yeah, opened the, it up to, uh, you know, at least, you know, again, as, as, as a, I must iterate, just viscous, unpleasant teenager, <laughs> just kind of moving past the blocks of text and numbers and menus within menus within menus. It really streamlined it and paved the way for games like Mass Effect and The Witcher and all these other mm-hmm. role-playing games that are now worldwide phenomenons because the, uh, what, what am I going to the, the production quality was so over the top for the time. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And we'll get into that too. Cause it's like, they broke the Guinness book of world records, I believe for voice acting lines and stuff like that. We'll get into it. How about we, uh, all right, so let's jump back to the beginning. The dawn of man. Um, I'm going <laughs> to briefly blast through the history of Bioware because we did do an episode on, on uh, Mass Effect. I will say this, though, Jake, that was early on in our podcast, or at least this podcast career. And looking back at my old notes, I was like, what dog wrote this? Dude, I've, <laughs> I've gotten so much better, I feel like, at writing notes for these podcasts. But either way. So my I will old say notes it, for Bioware just said, Canada doctors computered good. That's all yeah, it says. <laughs> I just had a drawing of like a doctor, yeah, in front of a computer. Um, hey, hey, Edmonton was the next town over from where I grew up. Ah. I grew up in Calgary. They were three hours north. So I was like, hey, good company. And they're Canadian. And they're just like up the road, which for prairies is three hours up the road is basically up the road. It's like, yeah, hell yeah, guys. I'll support this. Take all my money. So Bioware was founded by Ray Muzika. I how do you say it? Muzika? Mushka. Muzika J? I'm Mushka. I'm not entirely sure. Ray Mushka, Greg Zeschuk, and Augustine Yip, along with a team of three others back in early 1995. They were graduates from medical school at the University of Alberta and had a programming background that had them creating a medical simulation program. But they also loved video games, so they decided to try their hand at that. They pulled together $100,000 to make their first game, Shattered Steel, for MS-DOS and later Mac OS. And this is similar to Mech Warrior games. You're driving around a giant mech. You're battling other mechs and other armies of people and stuff like that. But what made it unique was it had locational damage, the ability to target specific parts, that fallout thing, where you can, you know, target the arms and or you could target the legs and make them immobilized or blind them by shooting the head. It also featured deformable... Uh, terrain was its big standout thing. And they shop it around to different publishers. Really, the most uh, relevant part of this is that they end up going with Interplay Entertainment as a publisher that would get notoriety in 1997 with, as I just mentioned, actually, the Fallout franchise. The group then turns to role-playing games of both the computerized and pen and paper type. Interplay finances, quote, exploratory development of a concept they created a demo for called Battleground Infinity, and Interplay felt they should apply this to the Dungeons and Dragons license. So they gained said license from Strategic Simulations. Listen to our D&D episode if you want to know the history of that. And the result was Baldur's Gate. And this took three years to develop. And all the while, the doctors were practicing medicine while making the first Baldur's Gate game. And um, say uh, eventually, uh, Mushka and Zeschuk went into game development full time. And uh, Augustine Yip decides to go full on into me- in the medical field. I wonder if he regrets that. But either way, the game ends up selling over 2 million copies after its release. 
After the success of Baldur's Gate, the team wanted to put focus back on the action genre with a sequel to a game called MDK. So now they're getting FPS shooter experience. And that is released on uh, the PC, but also the PlayStation 2 and Dreamcast. And that is their first foray into making games for consoles, which is going to be relevant for KOTOR, of course, uh, on the Xbox. Then they went back to Baldur's Gate. They do Baldur's Gate 2 Shadows of Am. Released in uh, 2000, and at this point, Interplay is having issues financially, which is going to have a big... That This it gets really murky, Jake, and I don't know how much you know about this, but either way, uh, Interplay loses the license for D&D to Atari, which is originally... Which which is becomes Infogrames, for okay, which... Okay, Bio- so... Yeah, this For, for the, for the purposes <laughs> of uh, Bioware history... Uh, Interplay and Atari games are both just like famously just like total collapses of former gaming giants. And, you know, when we say Atari, this is like one of the many zombie Ataris that have emerged in right. the post mm-hmm. uh, 2600 days. But basically, Bioware is involved with a bunch of lawsuits. Uh, it's involved with uh, the they can't like. They're trying to get the Neverwinter Nights, which is their first 3D Dungeons & Dragons game uh, made. Mm-hmm. They terminated their contract with Interplay. They're, everything's kind of up in the air, and they need a new project. And uh, kind of out there on their own, they get approached by LucasArts. Like, they, yes. I believe uh, there was a famous meeting where it was an all-hands thing, and uh, Mushka, uh, it's, we're butchering this guy's name, whatever. Uh, sits down and it's <laughs> like, okay, so we, have, he this. <laughs> we have two offers. Uh, one is to make a Star Wars game. And everybody in the room like goes, <gasps> and then his second one is, or we got approached by Sony to make an RPG. And everyone's just like, what? Let's, how about we do the thing I've been praying I could do since I was 11 years old. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's around, yeah. So around 2001, the team uh, is kind of split between trying to wrap up their previous obligations with uh, the Dungeons and Dragons license and the new game with LucasArts. And so like they get rolling on Knights of the Old Republic, which is this massive new thing for them because they're trying, they're just getting a handle on 3d RPG systems. Yeah. They were originally doing simulation games, which is what led them to doing like X wing and stuff like that. And rebel assault. Uh, which is X-Wing, of course, is space space combat sim. Doom changes everything, comes out in 1993, and everything focused to the 3D first-person shooter stuff, which is how they end up getting into the Star Wars Dark Forces and the whole Jedi Knight series. But yes, this is a whole new situation. This is bringing Bioware in, saying, like, maybe we could pair what we've already, kind of the lane we've already been going down with, like, a and based RPG. And that's how we get into KOTOR. There's a bunch of corporate forces moving along here, uh, mostly based from LucasArts. Uh, this is a time where because of the uh, prequels coming out, they are making a massive push to game publishing. Uh, and they had kind of fallen off the wayside. You know, the adventure games had kind of uh, stopped being in production. Uh, the Star Wars games were of middling quality and the ones that did exist were very uh, inconsistent. And Atari weirdly had the license for a while and was you know putting out games that way but then you you also and th- and we just did an episode on telltale games 
And this is where the story mm. splinters off. So tell the the guys who were doing adventure games for LucasArts get frustrated, leave, start Telltale going, and everybody else starts working on these bigger Star Wars games. And that's where we get to KOTOR with Bioware. But LucasArts at this during this prequels era, like from 2001 to 2003, I have a list. These are all the games they uh, released during this time. We got Star Wars Starfighter, Star Wars Super Bombad Racing, Star Wars Galactic Battleground, Rogue Squadron 2 Rogue Leader, Star Wars Racer Revenge, Star Wars Jedi Starfire, Star, Star sorry, Jedi Knight 2, Jedi Outcast, Star Wars The Clone Wars, Star Wars go. Bounty Hunter. Oh, God, remember when Jango Fett got his own game? <laughs> I remember that. Jedi Knight Jedi Academy, Rogue Squadron 3. I rented it from Blockbuster. <laughs> I remember that. Sorry, Hell go yeah. ahead. <laughs> and to cap it all off, they were uh, working on their incredibly ambitious and maybe episode-worthy uh, MMO Star Wars Galaxies. So, uh, mm. so they were tapping a bunch of studios all at once, all trying to get just as much Star Wars stuff out there. And I think they didn't quite. I think uh, I don't think they realized what they had on their hands with Bioware. I don't think they were expecting this to be as impactful as a product. I think they were just, you know, hey, Star Wars has an RPG system. Oh, that was another thing. They uh, the West End old D six based Star Wars RPG, which was you know started in the eighties and was a giant font of uh, extended universe lore. I think uh, I don't have the note in front of me, but the guy who wrote the Thrawn trilogy, one of the best, most lauded extended universe stories ever written, uh, his base materials were sent by LucasArts, and it was the RPG uh, materials basically. Hmm. They were moving on to Wizards of the Coast. And Wizards of the Coast had unveiled this new D20 system. And so they wanted to, so LucasArts was like, you got to incorporate this rule set into your RPG. It was like kind of this massive synergy machine going that Bioware was just kind of tangentially a part of. And I think that's why it it was given such a long development cycle. Whereas obviously we've already even mentioned how tight and short the sequel development cycle cycle was. But they, they, I think talks started in 2000. And the game doesn't come out until 2003. And mm-hmm. um, so all the while, um, they're jumping into this game. Uh, John Gallagher, the concept art lead, had this to say. Ray Mushka's a big believer in heavy, heavy front load on design. You make all your decisions there. Once you have your design dock locked, then it's a death march. <laughs> it's a death march. And you get the damn game done. He sounds like a grizzled veteran. <laughs> he sounds like fucking Solid Snake or some shit talking about this. Either way, they they wanted a 60-hour experience. Baldur's Gate was around 100 hours. Baldur's Gate 2 was around 200 hours if you weren't just completely mainlining it. So they knew. And so 60 hours is actually a more compact experience for them. Uh, and mm-hmm. uh, Casey Hudson is credited as director and producer of the game. He got a degree in medical engineering and began with Bioware after that uh, as technical artist starting on MD- MDK2. Mike Gallo from LucasArts said, he is one of the most talented people that I think I've ever worked with in this industry. Casey was the guy. He was the glue that held it together. He knew the ins and outs of the characters, the story, the music, the art direction, the art, the tech. He was truly the creative visionary of that project, along with James Olin. James Olin served as designer on the project. Olin ran a comic book store, as well as two D&D campaigns that were so popular, they had these giant waiting lists just to be a part of them. And that is what catches the eye of the founders of Bioware, and he was a designer on the Baldur's Gate games. Gallo said, 
James is primarily responsible for story and story structure. He's one of those guys who's very much on top of things. I mean, he is an expert in his field. It was always a positive experience talking to him. He's a pretty quiet guy in a lot of ways, but he was always smiling and trying to think of cool things to do and how they were going to structure it and build it. Okay, so just so we have a, a bird's eye view of like how this game is coming together... We have Casey Hudson as the director producer, and he's kind of like managing all the different things that are that are like basically he's working with all the separate departments and trying to make sure that they all have a singular vision uh, going forward. We have uh, Drew Carpshin, 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 Carpshin. He is credited as the writer. He hails from Canada. At one point, he was a loan officer, but after a car accident, he was like, oh, shit, I shouldn't be a loan officer anymore. I should enjoy my life. <laughs> so he quit his job. He went back to college. He got a degree in English, and his first gig was for Wizards of the Coast, for whom he wrote two novels, Baldur's Gate 2, Throne of Ball, and Temple Hill. He joined Bioware in 2000. I love this quote from Gallo. When I spent all that time up there, we used to laugh about Drew because he would go off and write a 400-page book over a weekend. Oh, I've got a book I've got to write, is what he would say. So, little V, that's I, I, I wanted to talk to you about this. I feel like you are the resident expert here in terms of just like what the from a from a writerly perspective, from a scripting perspective, what what about like what was it that stood out so much with Kotor? Um, I think, you know, over, especially over the years, too, as it's held up. Well, definitely initially as a kid, the first thing you're going to it's the voice direction. It's the voice acting. Right. Just the fact that it's like it's up until this point. Games haven't quite got that locked down yet. Everyone's still kind of experimenting, you know, arranging everything from like, you know, for keeping it in Star Wars, you know, the Jedi Outcast stuff, which is good all the way to like Resident Evil. With uh, that voice, that very famous voice acting. So that really stuck you out to me. You were almost a Jill sandwich. Exactly. <laughs> it's very effective against living things. Anyways. Um. Listening to your favorite podcast? That's smart. Earning your degree online from Southern New Hampshire University? That's really smart. With 24-7 access to coursework, no set class times, and dedicated student support, you can go to school when and where it works for you. Low online tuition means you can even do it for less. And dedicated student support means we'll be with you from day one to graduation and beyond. Join a community of learners just like you. Go to snhu.edu today to start your free application. The legends are true. But overwhelming power. The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of McDonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! I participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. And then one thing that really, again, from a writing perspective, that really, like, grabbed me was the fact that you can reply. And I know there had been games with uh, with other things like that. Obviously, the Fallout series is probably the most famous one of all right. that but at the time. But again, never touched a game like this before. My experience with video games had been shooters, because that was the thing back mm -hmm. in, the, in the 90s and such. And, uh, yeah, I just was like, wait, I can, not only can I 
like respond to like comments and questions i can pick my own responses and i can extend dial i can go down essentially the dialogue tree which you know is the term now but at the time i was just like wait i can have conversations with these people and there's writing for that and there's branching paths and i can talk my way out of fights or i could just fight people and it's it was just such a like the fact that i didn't realize game writing could do that and again, as you guys, you know, probably playing more D&D pen and paper stuff, like obviously had probably had more experience with this kind of stuff. Me as a kid who went pew, 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 who bought an Xbox for, for Halo to pew, pew your friends, uh, was like, this was revolutionary to me. It was mind blowing to me. Yeah, I, I think that that's completely valid. And even me, I mean, uh, you know, now I have more stuff to compare it to, like more recently Divinity Original Sin 2 and things like that, where they really oh, do play. Great game. Right? Great game. Fantastic, where they really do play with this concept. But I think the main standout for me coming back to it was like, ah, this is probably one of the first times where it actually made the player go, oh, wait, I don't just have to murder kill to get through every single scenario. There actually mm-hmm. are other ways. I think that first, um, what's the name of the giant monster? Rack, the Rancor? Rancor. That first yeah, moment the with the Rancor oh, yeah. is really the first part, right? Where it's like, this is an unstoppable force. I have to think outside of murder kill to figure this out. I have to plant the poison and the with the, or plant the the food with the bomb. Synthesized and make, odor. You know. Fun yeah. fact. Fun fact. If you took all the mines that you were picking up through the sewers, you can also just walk right up to them and set the mines in a path ha. and then just bait them. That's and awesome. that also will work. Yeah. Eventually it will kill their health. But, but yeah, which is another solution you didn't. And it, and it, it it fix it finishes the quest. It's like oh, you killed them, you got them. One of the so. weaknesses in Kotor One that I'm <laughs> playing for the first time is I just my broken brain makes me just check every nook and cranny, and so I end mm-hmm. up talking to everybody. I end up going through every computer terminal. I end up fighting everybody, and it turns out like all I needed to do was open one door, and I like opened the door five separate ways without even realizing it when all was said and done. Ah, but that's the thing. If you open it the five separate ways, you get the extra XP, baby. You get to level up and get even stronger. So this is something I feel like I wanted I wanted to ask you, and um, don't feel too much pressure if you can't fully answer this, but I feel like they brought so much to the lore on their own that is now canon in all these ways. Is mm-hmm. that is that correct? They, I mean, they created, like, this deep history. I know that they had some source material. They actually pulled a comic book from 1993 titled Knights of the Old Republic that they used a little bit of, but they brought a bunch of new stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Well, if I, again, I'm... If I'm gonna get something wrong and someone's and someone's gonna mention it at some point, and that's fine. But I'm pretty <laughs> sure Knights of the Old Republic, either the game or the comic books, was the first time the inclusion of the Jedi and the Sith codes. Mm. Uh, so having that whole thing there, and uh, if I remember correctly, again, it's you, it's, this plays really well for a podcast. But you guys <laughs> could see I, I'm not looking at anything. Uh, I believe. Um, <laughs> Uh, it's true. He's not looking at anything. He's actually covering his eyes. All right, Sith code. Oh, wait, no, Sith I code. have it in Piece front of, of me. Pieces of lies. I have lie. it right now. Okay. Pieces of lies. Only passion. Through passion, I gain strength. Through strength, I gain power. Through power, I gain victory. Through victory, my chains are broken. The force shall free me. And uh, I can't remember the Jedi code exactly <laughs> off the top of my head. There is no emotion. There is peace. There, there is, is peace. No there ignorance. is no ignorance. There is knowledge. There is no uh, passion. passion. There is ha- passion, harmony. Uh, chaos. Uh, yeah, it's just words. Just words. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. First of all, the but, fact uh, that the Je- I, I don't think the Jedi code, like the fact that they made the Jedi code canon is nonsensical. It's clearly just a memorization oh, it no puzzle. It's just <laughs> oh, a yeah, dumb yeah. puzzle 
So, okay, yeah. this is what I wanted to get into. So when we say um, James Olin was the designer, we yeah. don't mean visually. We don't mean like uh -huh. a graphic designer, art designer. That was John Gallagher, who did uh -huh. a lot of cool designs, a lot of cool aliens, a lot of cool settings that have been in court. You know, he's the guy who drew Revan. Uh, Darth Revan, mm -hmm. he's basically if Darth Maul and Boba Fett uh, became an even cooler looking character. He's got the crazy mm -hmm. mask. He's got cool leather capes. He's, he's the coolest design. Yeah. He uh, made, uh, you know, the, uh, what's it, the Endo Hawk, the, and the Ebon Hawk. Oh, the Ebon, the Ebon, Ebon Hawk, quite, yep. The not quite Millennium Falcon. Different bird. Hawk is a different bird. Uh, mm -hmm, so mm -hmm. John Gallagher did a lot of things visually that stuck with people. But uh, Olin, as designer, is kind of working with this new engine that they've created and working with Drew as the writer. And so it's his job to actually... Think of puzzles like the Jedi Code where, okay, we need something to happen. You're on Dantooine. We need to do tests. We have this dialogue system. We have this uh, I, you know, inventory management system. We have this combat system. How do we make novel gameplay things? So stuff like on Dantooine, that little murder mystery is a unique form mm. of gameplay that they build using the tools at hand. And that's kind of what uh, Olin's job was as designer. The designers were taking the tools and crafting it into scenarios and building the levels and building interactions, the writers were putting down what those interactions were, and the graphic artist team were like building the assets through which the designers and the writers could build the story out of. And of course, an army of programmers who we never acknowledge actually making the tech work behind everything. <laughs> yeah. mm -hmm. So yeah, it's all yeah. the, and every decision has to then get run through LucasArts. Uh, Mike Gallo, I think, was their point guy. Yes, I keep saying this guy's name, Mike Gallo, Mike Gallo, Mike Gallo. He was like the point person for LucasArts. They also did have to send stuff for approval to the ranch. But from the article I read, there's a really good Polygon article about some of the crunch and things like that, that I pulled a lot of these quotes and stuff from. But he, they said they actually didn't really get a lot of pushback. And I think that probably is a, a credit to them deciding to go with 4,000 years before any of the mm -hmm. stuff that had been put out uh, to, to really help allow that. Yeah. But yeah, they, they actually all said that, that the LucasArts and the, the ranch were really cool with what they had decided to go with. Honestly, I think that's the, one of the strengths of Star Wars is the fact that you can just like the world building was already so strong to begin yeah. with that you just be like, all right, pick a different pick a different time. And pick something far away from, from the movies, far away from whatever novels are being written at the time, and have fun with it. Go nuts. Just don't don't go too crazy near near the time frame of our movies, please. We, we, we're in the middle of releasing a trilogy as we speak, right? But uh, yeah. So yeah, so they're working together. They built the engine. They have the scenarios played out. And uh, they have a really cool design in the form of Revan. And this mm. this experience happens where... You are now, you're, they've, they've done it. They've basically sat down at a virtual D&D uh, Game Master screen and built a world and built NPCs and built settings and built little puzzles and built combat scenarios where you can freely build a character that fits how you, you want to be a little sneaky boy? You want to be a sneaky, sneaky mind planter? Do you want to be a smooth talking guy that can get his way out of exactly... 15 scenarios, but then the rest of the scenarios are just getting your ass kicked in combat. Oh, yeah. Uh, do you want to be just a fucking tank who can force lightning people and never take any damage? You know, all these things are happening. And they have, they even build uh, a party. You can even have a party with different uh, uh, characters that 
all our, I, I, I want to get into the meat. I want to get into the meat of the game. I want to talk about Candorous Ordo. I want to talk about, mm. uh, I want to talk about HK47. I want to talk about these guys. I have this quote from Dara O'Farrell, who says, one complete copy of the Knights of Old Republic script fills up 10 five-inch binders. The game has 300 different characters with 15,000 lines of speech. And they did use, as I said, that source material. Around 100 voice actors worked on the game. And I want to talk about Ed Asner. That's the meat I wanted to get into. <laughs> Ed Asner, known for his character Lou Grant on the Mary Tyler Moore Show, he played Master Vruk Lamar. Master Vruk Lamar. Um, so wait, do you have this anecdote? Uh, I'm no. working off the uh, Star Wars Knights of the Old Republic boss fight book, which was mm. uh, basically, I think that's what by Alex Kane, and I think that's what the Polygon article was based off of. But they used. Um, they used a uh, a voice acting director who was very famous, and I'm definitely not stalling for time in order to look it up in my notes. The voice department manager was Dara O'Farrell. I don't know if that's yes. Who you're talking okay, about. so O'Farrell uh, brought in ton, like he called his whole Rolodex. He's handled the voice acting for basically everything LucasArts has ever done, and has continually worked on games for them far after Kotor. And uh, one of his go-to guys was a guy named Pat Fraley. And Pat Fraley was up for the role of uh, old Ed Asner-ass-looking <laughs> Jedi Master. <laughs> and uh, Fraley uh, saw one of the notes on the script was, like, an Ed Asner type. And Fraley was just like, hey, I'm neighbors with Ed Asner. Why don't I just call him? <laughs> and O'Farrell was like, Pat, no. T- Pat, no, no. No, Pat, no. And Fraley was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Ed lives across the street from me. If you want Ed Asner, I'm just going to call Ed Asner. He picks up his phone, and then an hour later, Ed Asner shows up and actually does the dialogue. <laughs> That's amazing. Another story uh. from that recording session is uh, the assassination droid HK-47, who I believe was based on uh, like either a ping pong or bowling team ba- uh, that from the Bioware employees that like uh, they had too many people with H in their first names on the team, and so instead of AK-47... They named themselves HK-47, and as a fun joke, (laughs) they named the character after that. But uh, HK-47 was played by a uh, guy named Christopher uh, Tabory, and um, Bioware wanted to play him as, like, really sinister and evil and brooding, and uh, it just didn't quite work. Like, basically, O'Farrell pulled an audible and told uh, the voice actor... Why don't we do it a little goofy? Why don't we, uh, why don't we just kind of play loosey-goosey with it? I mean, this is a droid with a lust for violence. And, uh, you know, eventually it, the lines get rewritten on the fly as actual comedy. There's like a, damn it, master, I'm an assassination droid, not a dictionary Star Trek joke even. Like, they're really mm. having fun with uh, the organic meatbag humor. And so they delivered that, those lines instead of what Bioware wanted. Uh, O'Farrell gets a note back saying... Uh, we need to talk about HK-47. Everybody hates it. <laughs> uh, O'Farrell goes to the man and is like, we tried to do what was on the character sheet and it wasn't working. We went for the comedy route. I get that everybody might hate it now, but you know what? We're up against the gun. Let's finish the entire project. And then if there's time at the end, we'll talk about it. Another month went by and Bioware just got used to the rewrite. And when it came time to re-record it, uh, they, Mike Gallo actually called O'Farrell and was like, oh, everybody loves it now. Uh, we think it's funny. You can't cut it. <laughs> and so that's how 
let's honestly he's one of the fan favorite characters uh can we talk about hk47 i was just about to say hk47 is best boy slash best girl of the entire kotor series like that might be one of the best characters (laughs) they ever came up with and yeah i love the fact that they were just like yeah let's just try comedy oh i don't like that and then pulled the uh you know the classic uh anime new anime op oh i hate the new new design and then a month in it yeah i love the i love the new start of this show it's the best right but uh, uh yeah no hk is easily one of the best characters in kotor 1 it's just just yeah just a droid played completely for jokes just out for murder and violence and just and just like it's oh, basically if c3po and bender had a baby like it's basically all, yeah there was one line i remember i had to watch a youtube compilation of like all of his lines and one of them is just like oh sorry master it's just with my droid vision i can see all the water sloshing around in that skin suit you call a body and it's very distracting <laughs> uh later uh, later on in the in the franchise uh spoil spoilers for kotor 2 uh hk 47 is in kotor 2 as well um and uh he has a fantastic definition of love and it's basically just describing like lining up the perfect sniper shot from like kilometers away and just getting that right on the mark. It's just like, oh, that's the definition of love right there. And it's oh, it's beautiful, beautiful uh, writing. I, and honestly, uh, they should get credit for this character because uh, afterwards uh, we had characters like Triple uh, Zero from the comics mm-hmm. universe, which was like Darth Vader's um, evil C-3PO. And in Rogue One, we had K-2SO. Mm-hmm. Played by Alan Tudyk, who is also basically evil C-3PO. Like, they really cracked a code that was kind of just dormant in the uh, Star Wars universe with this murderous protocol droid character. And he, mm-hmm. he, he really, it's uh, there's a reason he leaves an impression and has the I, way too much fan art. Oh, so much uh, fan and art. And he's made to look like a copperhead snake. Like, from the moment you see him, you're like, you're like this guy's evil. Oh, yeah. He's no, acting I... like he's not evil, but I bet he's evil. <laughs> yeah. Let me just pull up his uh, character sheet and uh, look at his alignment. Oh, okay. That's deep. That's deep red. <laughs> and uh, even as I don't even know if this was conscious, but like the same. Okay. So when they made the decision that Anakin built C-3PO in the prequels, it was kind of like, oh, come on. Yeah. Yeah. But like when it's revealed that, uh, uh, that HK-47 has a connection to the player character, it's like, mm-hmm. ooh, that's kind of fun. <laughs> yeah, because uh, you can absolutely draw a connection to, yeah, Anakin and C-3PO kind of thing. And then, yeah, you think about it and go, no, that makes sense. No, that makes perfect sense in the context of this universe. Absolutely. <laughs> Why? Yeah, the, the PC would have a hand in making HK. <laughs> can we talk about Darth Revan and Darth Malak? Sure. Can we talk about why these characters, you know, they're on the box, they look real cool, but mm-hmm. more so than anything else that has survived KOTOR, fans love Darth Revan. Uh, like, what, what is the allure of Revan? Well, I mean, I can, I can tell you the obvious allure of Revan, but uh, we can't do that without going into spoiler territory. Yeah, so we and, are going uh, into spoiler stuff now. I also want to get into the twist and talk about that because, for me, I guess that game was uh, FF7. Growing up of like a game that had this big Mm. monumental twist happen in it. And I want to know what it was like for you when you hit the twist in KOTOR. Before that, yeah, let's talk. Let's talk Revan and let's get into it. Yeah. So, yeah. Spoilers starting now. (laughs) So the reason everyone likes Darth Revan is because the same reason everyone likes Red from Pokemon. It's the main (laughs) character. It's you. (laughs) Oh, I was Darth Revan the whole time. Oh, shit. 
Oh my god, which is a fantastic twist. Yes. Yeah, I love the fact that uh, during the game, when the big moment's happening, when when it's coming, it's being revealed that you are Revan, you get the. I'm sorry, I just I literally got goosebumps thinking about this. Uh, the uh, the the slow reveal of all these little lines of dialogue that were spoken to you all the way back from like Karth telling you when you're waking up in the bed and just talking about little things to like bat like just offhanded lines from the Jedi Council from Bastila, and you're like. Oh God, I am Revan. Oh no! And it just completely throws the entire like, oh, oh, I was the problem, and oh wow, and it's just like I have so many questions, and it's it's just it's such a great reveal. They do an amazing thing in the game where the first they play a cinematic uh, pre-rendered of all the characters saying the clue lines that you should have seen coming. Uh, yeah, literally the one of the first things your first partner tells you is like, oh, Jedis are freaky. They'll wipe your goddamn brain if they want to. Yep. <laughs> and it's um, great because it's just like a great offhanded line. Awesome. You're like, oh, yeah, I'm not I'm not going to remember that from 20 hours ago. And yeah. Uh, and then they cut the pre-rendered footage and go to in engine of Darth Revan, which, again, has a cool leather jacket and cape, cool hood, mm-hmm. magic red Darth Maul Boba Fett mask. Uh, mm-hmm. And your character reaches on the mask, clip your hand, your dummy 2003 graphic hands clips through your head, but it's fine. We were fine with it back then. Mm-hmm. Pulls mm-hmm. the mask off, and there's your face, the character creator face you made, uh, mm-hmm. with crazy dumb red Sith eyes glowing at, amongst ancient ruins. And mm-hmm. the guy that all the things they were, they were talking about. This is the hero of the Mandalorian Wars, the brutal dictator who were destroying the Republic. The master of Darth Malak, the uh, not Darth Vader with the missing mandible so they didn't have to animate any of his uh, mouth movements. Like all, the reason for the season, the cool guy supreme that caused all this was you the whole time. I think and- that's so smart, too, that, that they have you create a character. I think that totally mm-hmm. throws you off the path that you would you would ever have that kind of twist happen. Because why? how would something I made end up, you know yeah. what I mean? I, I just think that is... Such a smart, uh, such a smart move on their part. Mm-hmm. They obviously really wanted to have a big twist, uh, a la Empire Strikes Back. I think one of the right, I think, yeah, I think Drew uh, Karpshin said, like, no, we want to, you know, what is key to Star Wars? Big ass twists in the second mm-hmm. act. And mm-hmm. it's also really important to know, oh, that it's 2000, you know, one to 2003 when this is all coming together. And we got... The Sixth Sense. We got Memento. We got Fight Club. Uh-huh. Like the big, it was you the whole time. <laughs> Twist yeah. was in the air. It was like <laughs> the go-to. Which also, just just for contrast, in a again one of the reasons why I think personally the story in Kotor Two is stronger. It to contrast is a character in Kotor Two during one of the confrontations who goes what. You were expecting a twist? You're expecting some <laughs> grand revelation? Uh-uh. I, I've been, everything's been on the table since the start. What? You expect it? It's great. But uh, also, fun little thing about the, the reveal of Revan. Um, so early on in the game, you know, on Terrace, you acquire a set of armor, uh, the Sith armor, the Sith uh, soldier armor, right? Uh-huh. Uh, through some shenanigans by uh, equipping it on Karth, and taking him out of your party, you can keep the armor because you're supposed to give it up for some documents and stuff. So you can absolutely the damn keep the armor. Backs, man, they took my good yeah. ass armor. <laughs> so if again, if you take put it on Karth and take him out, you don't lose the armor. Now, if you are wearing that armor during the confrontation of which you it is revealed that you're Revan, 
it doesn't load the PC character's face, and it's just an empty <laughs> void of nothing. Oh. It's just the robes. <laughs> so it's a there's a great clip of it on a, I think it was on a, a games done quick uh, a marathon speed run there where a guy was like uh, don't worry here's there's no spoilers here and you just see how it pulls off in this <laughs> just no character face That's and it's amazing. just like yeah look there see no spoilers we're good <laughs> but uh but yeah great little great little bug. What I really want to ask you, though, is the the role of Revan had in the post-game lore and then subsequently pre-game lore. Because if you talk about anything that happens about the Knights of the Old, everything from uh, the earliest Sith invasions to basically just Revan is in it. And so, like, what, like, how many things does Revan have his hands in? Oh, Revan's basically, like, the guy or girl, you know, whatever, whatever your PC is. Uh, canonically, though, the guy uh, who basically is the problem and the solution to almost everything in the old republic, and uh, it's he's it's the, and it it's funny too because like you hear it's like oh yeah Darth Revan big bad big OG oh my god stop the the crazy Mandalorians and then turn yeah exactly into brutal dictator and such and he does they don't he doesn't really get full characterization until the second game where you start mm. learning more about the very specifics and it's like oh no like cuz up until this point our our main villain in Kotor 1 is Malak Darth Malak and he's pretty brutal he's pretty i'm just going to blow stuff up uh, during one sequence in the game it's like i need a f- i'm tired of looking for this person bomb the planet <laughs> blow the whole planet up I'm done. I'm done dealing with this. Just kill it all. We'll like we we can't deal with this crap anymore. And Revenue is the smart, cunning. Like it's like oh, these not they're not just nuking whole planets from orbit. They're like oh no, they're keeping specific installations. They're being smart about this. They're recruiting people to their cause. And it's just yeah, it's like oh, Revan was evil but smart. And I think that was, uh, and not, but not like cartoonishly campy, like uh, like Palpatine or something, where uh-huh. it's just you know cartoonishly. I've got my fingers, yeah, I'm the mastermind. But it's like, oh no, that's actually a very smart thing for a person to do, right? And uh, like, Revan's yeah, and- a tier one operator. He's like, he was supposed to be a state Jedi, and then he discovered being a cool tier one operator who like worked with like local clans and were, you know yeah. got his got in the muck, and like that affected him, uh, and. Th- Oh, and we have to talk about Bastila because you can't talk about uh, you can't talk about Revan without talking about your your faithful uh, Jedi brunette companion Bastila. <laughs> what, what's her last name? I already forgot. <laughs> Sean Bastila Sean, uh, with the mysterious power of battle meditation, which I I swear they had to add in the post game. I sw- like mm. they just literally keep saying like, oh, she's the most important Jedi in the world because if she sits and thinks about it. Uh, she can like make wars better. <laughs> yeah, she's just really good at making wars better. Which, uh, <laughs> s- I side note, I think battle meditation is mentioned earlier in like the comics and stuff. But mm. I, again, when I was first playing this, I was eleven. I hadn't read the comics. I hadn't done any of that. So I was just like, ooh. So basically, this character is the MacGuffin and can MacGuffin their way out of any situation, and is also the reason why Revan didn't just steamroll the entire Republic in two seconds. <laughs> Uh, at some point she gets, after many, many hours of her being like, you can't, you don't need to help me. I am a Jedi. I am proud. And, you know, classic, uh, tough as nails, Star Wars lady ribbing. She then gets super kidnapped and you have to (laughs) super rescue her only for her to show up, uh, just basically like the end of Greece. She just shows up in black leather and is like, I got a new Mm -hmm. attitude. (laughs) Yep. 
Uh, did you have a crush on uh, Bastila as played by Jennifer Hale, famous uh, video game voice acting legend? Female Shepard, uh, among many so, other things. everything. I did not. Um, I, okay, again, for context, I am now 29 at the time I was 11. <laughs> I had a crush on Mission. Oh, yeah. okay. Mission's yes. funky, though. Yes. I like Mission. yes. Yes, I am aware. Mission is 15. I would just like to make the statement, I do no longer have a crush on Mission, the 15-year-old street rat-like child. But yes, at the time, it was uh, it was Mission, because it was just like, yeah, badass street lady who don't take no nothing from no one, and then, and then realize she's kind of naive later on as the story progresses, and you're like, oh... Oh, yeah. Kind of had the wool pulled over your eyes there, huh? <laughs> but yeah. Can we? Okay. So one of the things that the game does that I just need to talk about is the endings. Because when Basila shows up with her cool, like, cool, I'm evil now, nanu nanu attitude mm-hmm. is you can just go ahead and just be like, yeah, cool. I'm going to I'm going to yeah. hang with you. And yeah. so the the way the two endings play out is either you save the day and defeat the bad guy and you help her break out of the spell of evil. You know, the Star Wars ending. (laughs) The dark side ending is so much better than the light side ending. It is kind of insane. You, like, all these big character moments happen where all of your party members actually have to confront, like, what it means to have been following you around this whole time. Mm -hmm. You can, Mm -hmm. like... You can force uh, Mission's Chewbacca friend to, like, kill her. Oh, it's the worst? It's the worst. It's the worst, but it's the best. Uh, Karth runs away like a scared little boy. Yep. But, like, the difference is, if you do the good side ending, yeah, you go through all the boss fights, and, like, uh, you get... uh, Malik gives, like, a little speech about, like, oh, so you just got a get-out-of-guilt-free card. That's cool. I wonder if I got mind-wiped if I could have done that. That seems like a Mm -hmm. nice option, whatever. Mm -hmm. But if you go evil, like, Bastila is, like, your girlfriend. She is your girl. She is bae. She is 100% on board with you. You are, like, the energy of the relationship changes immediately. Uh, Malik is like, oh, I was a dumb baby the whole time. Fuck, you're so cool. I'm sorry. Oh, oh, why did I think I could stop you? Oh, God damn it. I'm such a dumb baby. Like, it is a way more satisfying ending than like, and then peace was restored. Thanks to the power of being good. Listening to your favorite podcast? That's smart. Earning your degree online from Southern New Hampshire University? That's really smart. With 24-7 access to coursework, no set class times, and dedicated student support, you can go to school when and where it works for you. Low online tuition means you can even do it for less. And dedicated student support means we'll be with you from day one to graduation and beyond. Join a community of learners just like you. Go to snhu.edu today to start your free application. The legends are true. Overwhelming power. sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of McDonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! I participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. So I'm going to add on to that. Um, so... 
there in this game there is a, a you can pick the order of, of which planet you go to to go find the MacGuffins to go do the big MacGuffin thing. I don't know why I'm talking around spoilers because we've already mentioned those spoilers. But <laughs> anyways, you can pick the order of your planets, right? When you are revealed to be Revan and you leave Korriban last, it adds extra dialogue for being Revan where you walk in and go, yo, I'm Revan. <laughs> fucking bow to me and everyone's like shut up oh my god like yeah and then you just start and you can of course you're playing dark side you can just murder them and by the end wow. it's the 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 head master of the academy is like oh my oh my god oh we were idiots you are revan <laughs> oh oh no oh no or you can play it you know the goody two shoes no i'm revan i've returned the, to the light side but no i think that's honestly one of my favorite run-throughs of this game is playing goody two shoes until the reveal <laughs> that everyone's been lying to you and then go yes screw that back to dark side <laughs> and you just hard cut back and it's just thematically so great that's awesome another thing i love is when you're going dark side there's a couple of points where you know there's only so many man hours so many assets you can make that the game has to funnel you into a specific conversation and you have to kind of just get to the next part and so your options are either like sure i will help you or just in parentheses the word lie Sure, yeah. I will help you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, which, which I've, again, in, in KOTOR 2, they really take that concept and run with it. It's my favorite Hell because, yeah, yeah the, ultimate, the ultimate evil would be pretending to do the good thing to, mm. to stab everyone in the back later. That's the ultimate evil. And right. they, don't, they don't really delve into that too much in KOTOR 1, but KOTOR 2, oh, yeah, they take that and they run with it. It's great. So I want to get to KOTOR 2, so I just want to wrap up a couple things about the production of this game. Uh, really quickly, it is just I love this quote from John Gallagher, concept art lead. Uh, we were all pretty dialed in on what we wanted, and we had the density of a dying star in there. The ma vast majority did end up in the game because it's quite a dense experience in terms of visual beats. We pushed the engine to the edge of its efficiency. I think we were at 105% overclocked, probably pushing more than it should have rightly handled. But we lucked out and got a lot of stuff working. And they ended up going with the Odyssey engine, which is a rewritten version of the Aurora engine. And uh, just a couple things. What the, the score was done by Jeremy Soule, who had a oh. ton of tech limitations mm -hmm. going into it because he had he only had an eight megabit per second MIDI system. And he had to try to create the illusion of like these full orchestrations with very little. James, Mr. Little V, uh, what can you tell us about the soundtrack? Oh, yeah. As, yeah. A, as a musical. As a musician, man. I, I mean. What else can be said about the amazing KOTOR soundtrack? Not even, again, not even just one, but even in two where it's so it's understated and there's not too much music written for it because of the development cycle. But like both, it's just, it's, they nailed Star Wars without having to actually just rip off the Star Wars soundtracks. Because at this point, they're just, everyone's just like, what are the songs everyone likes? Uh... Uh, Duel of Fates, all that stuff. Yeah, okay, just throw it all in. Yeah, throw it in every everything. Yeah, we don't just whatever. We won't write them, but yeah, no, he nailed it. He absolutely nailed the music. It's just it's so Star Warsy, but not but not say, like it's its own unique thing. It's yeah. so cool, very cool. Uh, yeah. Th so and also so at the very end they had this horrible crunch period. Ray Mushka said it was a nightmare. I think we found thirty nine thousand bugs. That's the most bugs we've ever had in a game. <laughs> that sounds horrific. They they had this massive, of course, as every episode we do on a prolific video game or an important video game, 
massive nonstop playtesting to fix bugs. Gallo said, everyone on that team was in the office playing the game until the sun came up. I was walking around at like 4.30 in the morning and there was an artist who had fin been uh, finished with his work for weeks and he was just playing through it to find bugs. I've certainly worked on teams that were great before and since that, but it was something special. I will also say, though, we got to get a union, guys. we got to figure this out, all right? Push for that union. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's probably a good idea, eh? Because it uh, seems to be a very common common story of, Every oh, game. yeah, no, I was sleeping under my desk uh, for six months, and uh, I wasn't allowed to see sun. And it's like, yeah, that's not healthy. It's either not a if we're doing a, a mangaka or a very important video game, it is always just, I worked until I died, and I, it was a nightmare. So, I, uh, yeah. Mike Gallo has an anecdote from the boss fight book that was uh, towards the end of the PC version. We were working several all nighters. I was in a meeting with the ops people at LucasArts, and at one point, one of the guys stopped me and whispered, "Mike, you think you're talking, but you just end up fading out for ten seconds and then pick up like you were still talking." <laughs> Oh, Ridiculous. No. But obviously the game comes out. It's a massive hit. And uh, mm -hmm. it leads to KOTOR 2 not made, however, by BioWare. It is instead developed yeah. by Obsidian Entertainment, a, de a dev group founded by members who were originally part of Black Isle Studios, a subsidiary of Interplay Entertainment. They created games like Fallout 2. But they also collaborated, collaborated with BioWare on Neverwinter Nights, as well as the first two Baldur's Gate games. It was actually BioWare who suggested that they take the reins on the game. And um, they were approached by LucasArts to create a sequel, as I said, back in 2003. They had a finished story before the first game came out. They also had a 14 to 16 month time frame to develop, which is why uh, designer Chris Avalon felt the game came out in an unfinished state. However, that is partly... I, I would concur. <laughs> that is partly Obsidian's fault for not leaving enough stuff on the cutting room floor, he does say. But um, let's get into it, because I do want to just talk about, like, why you feel... I think you already mentioned it. You've immediately intrigued me with this concept of pretend to be the good guy and be the actual... Actually be the bad guy. It has, it has that type of depth. Yeah, it's, it's incredible. Uh, before we get into that, though, uh, just you mentioned there are a ridiculous amount of bugs in KOTOR, uh -huh. and, and this, this also applies to KOTOR 2, but I'm, I'm talking about my two favorite bugs from KOTOR 1. Okay. Uh, first off, you can use items from your inventory in your, in, in your menus as an extra item per turn. So you can attack and heal at the exact same time. That breaks the entire game fundamentally, and it's so much fun and really stupid. <laughs> Second, uh, just you can st another really fun bug that's just it's not if you don't know it's there, it's it's it doesn't really screw up the game, but it's fun. Uh, in the last boss encounter before you leave Terrace, you only actually have to beat one of the two people you're fighting. And you only have to get them to have health, and the other guy just gets off, like out of focus, off <laughs> off the side of the screen, just blasted by a random bolt from the sky. It is just like, boom, he's dead. He just died. He just died off camera. It's fine. And the other guy's monologuing, and it's like, don't worry about him. He died. He died off camera, going off to his own planet. So, uh, but yeah. So, Kotor two. Where do you start with Kotor two? Jesus. I think um, I, I I mentioned this before, but. Uh, in a, uh, I forget what, at a conference, Chris Avalon actually talked about how he kind of hated Star Wars and the concept of the Force. The idea that in this grand universe full of possibilities, there was always this uh, just implicit 
nebulous thing that was actually controlling everything everyone says and does at all times. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he would, at this point had been working on tons of RPGs and was kind of burnt out on good versus evil. Like it's, you know, it came from a very, like on, like within the constraints of the narrow time frame. he was also like had an opportunity to kind of voice a lot of frustration and kind of break the wheel in a lot of different ways. Mm-hmm. So I guess once again, we can't really get into KOTOR 2's meat without going into spoilers. So if you have not played KOTOR 1 and KOTOR 2, go pl- go play KOTOR 1 and KOTOR 2. <laughs> KOTOR 1 is on your phone. You can get it. Yes. I think it's 10 bucks. I think there is a phone version. It runs really well. Uh, and then KOTOR 2... It's got to be what five bucks now on Steam or something. It's yes, been it's been out yeah. for a while. So five ten dollars. Like go play them. They're great games. They're fantastic narratives. And uh, just make sure, for the love of God, for Kotor two, you need to download the restored content mod because mm. it there is as we mentioned already the development time of Kotor two. It was basically unfinished when it came out. Yes. And what the restored content mod is, is it's a bunch of modders that went into the game files and pulled out things that were cut but still left on the discs and still left on the files and essentially restored a bunch of stuff. It's not balanced correctly. There's some environments that are you, you can very clearly be like, okay, this was probably could have been cut. You didn't, you didn't need it. But they restored a lot of stuff. And especially the final planet, the finale of the game, restores so much context that... Like, I remember playing KOTOR 2 and finishing the game and going like, what? That's it? That's that's the game? And then now playing it years later with the mod, I'm like, oh my god. I why, <laughs> My god, this is so much better. But uh, yeah, so go play it. It's a really good time. Uh, yeah, first off, I want to just talk quickly about the fact that they use the game mechanics to tell a narrative, which I think is very fascinating, too. Like, not, like not only is the quality of the writing so strong, but they have an in-game universe uh, explanation for XP. And uh, the basically, so starting off this game, uh, at some point during the uh, the Mandalorian Wars, this is a new character, this isn't Revan, you're a new player character, uh, you're, you were a general in the Mandalorian Wars, something happened, and you got completely cut off from the Force. You don't know what caused it, you completely like you it could have been the it could have been the council going like we're taking your powers away but at some point you were completely cut off from the force and then over the course of the game you start restoring your force and it also and it, it suspiciously happens at the same time with the amount of people you kill and later <laughs> on it's revealed that you are literally force vampiring force out of everyone around you and <laughs> with everyone you kill you become stronger and i think that's a fantastic in-universe explanation for it and i, I and that just that that right there should just explain the depth and how much they thought this through yeah. and with the writing and the storytelling connecting like exp with uh and progress yeah in that in a in a narrative way is that's awesome and if KOTOR 1 was all about the cult of Revan, and Revan's super cool. Uh, the impression I got from the fandom is that KOTOR 2 is all about Kreia. Kreia? Kreia, yeah. Kreia is too good to be a Star Wars character. I think that's, that's, <laughs> the, uh, I think that's probably the best way I can put it. Kreia is... God, I mean, there's whole, like... There's whole uh, video essays on, on YouTube dedicating to just talking about this character. So, uh, again... Spoilers, we've already put the thing up, but uh, <laughs> Kreia is your first party member in the game, and when you first meet her, she's kind of like 
like the grizzled old Ben Kenobi crazy, crazy old person when you, you that's what you think, right? And then as you progress and go through it, you're like, oh, you were a Sith Lord. <laughs> oh, 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 and and you can put the pieces together before it's fully revealed. And it's it's such a it's I, there. There's your twist. There's your twist in the game to be like, oh, my number one companion was a Sith Lord and ultimately becomes the final boss, ah. my mentor character. And it's a really cool idea where, yeah, the first character you're introduced to is the final boss. You just don't know it yet. All the video essays have titles like the philosophy of Kreia, the ethics yeah. of Kreia. Like, what yeah. is it about her that makes that like so what makes her a font of knowledge? So basically, Kreia's whole shtick is uh, don't go too far. Don't go sniff your own farts and don't go <laughs> murder everyone in the face because uh, both are really stupid. So Kreia's whole deal, again, just to kind of summarize here, I'm just going to do a terrible job summarizing but quick quick bullet points Kreia was a jedi she was a jedi historian and basically felt she had learned all the knowledge of the jedi and went let me go learn some sith stuff just to make sure we're not missing anything falls to the dark side during the mandalorian wars it becomes uh darth treya and ends up teaming up with some other sith lords who eventually turn on her and basically outcast her and more or less do the same thing that happened to you, the player character, to her, where she basically loses her connection to the Force and uh, and is kind of just becomes like an old lady. And by the end of it, she's just like, the Jedi suck, the Sith suck, but more importantly, the Force sucks. I hate the Force. I absolutely despise the magic in this universe. I hate how it basically controls everything. It lays out everyone's destinies and the thing she loves the most about the player character is that because you're essentially completely cut off from the Force, you are the only living thing in this entire galaxy that doesn't have a destiny, that is completely free of, of, the, of the strings, and you can do whatever you want. And that's, that's, that's one of the big moments at the end. It's like, that's why I think you're the coolest. And, that's and, so uh, fucking metal. <laughs> it's so cool! It's such a great concept. And, and it's taught throughout the game. Uh, where she's like, yeah, if you go too goody two shoes, she starts berating and going like, hey, don't don't start sniffing your farts because you can. And it, and then especially bringing back to uh, Ed Asner's character, Rook is one of my favorite examples of 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 just uh, the worst horrible Jedi in Kotor two. He obviously returns back for Kotor two, and he is just the Stonewall okay boomer level of no shut up the teachings are never wrong and up to this point we've been kind of going like wait maybe we maybe the jedi don't have everything right you know maybe they don't have everything all figured out maybe they're a little bit too self-absorbed and are a little too detached from from the daily goings-on to really be a good no shut up the teachings are always right i know we keep basically causing the sith to rise up because jedi get sick and tired of us and split off and constantly fracture and we end up having these big wars because we keep smelling our own farts but no the code or maybe i'm wrong no it's the children who are wrong and (laughs) he's just he's the best because he's just a wall you can't convince him and it's just like at some point, you just have to go like, I'm just going to leave the room or I'm going to stab him. I'm just, <laughs> I have, I'd, it's like, I, fine, bye, right? And it's, and it's so many moments like that where it's just, it, you come up, you brushes up with the whole concept of good and evil and like, maybe the Jedi aren't the be all, end all good. Not saying that there aren't good Jedi and, and just Jedi, but 
it's kind of like if you go too far into the light, you start looping back around to the dark. Where you think, oh, I'm I'm right. I'm lawful evil. No, I'm the we're the good we're doing it to protect everybody, mm. right? And I think that's a really cool, cool concept. That's great. And at this point in the prequels, George Lucas was literally having Yoda look Anakin in the face and be like, Morning, your dead mom is dumb. That's that's <laughs> yeah, gross. Exactly. Bad look, bro. Exactly. exactly. Oh, you wanna kiss Natalie Portman? Gross. Ew, you're dumb. How dare you wanna love people? Oh, that's so <laughs> that, that everything. Everything leads to the dark side. And and then you're like, well then what does it lead to the dark side? Should I it's and and it basically huh. the, the whole philosophy in the game is that going too light. I mean, the obvious one is going too dark. You sacrifice your humanity for power, right? You, and power begets power. And uh, the, thema- the theme of the, uh, the game is called KOTOR 2, Knights of the Republic 2, The Sith Lords. And basically, mm-hmm. the theme of the villains, the Sith Lords in that game is that they cannot live without the Force. They are, they, if they are cut off from the Force, they die instantaneously. And, it is clever and, that one guy is a zombie and can't die, and the other guy is a ghost who can't die. Like, both forms of undeath. Yeah, and uh, I remember reading that uh, in one point, the zombie guy, um, they were even they were trying to make it work in the engine where he just had floating chunks of flesh floating around <laughs> him because he's just holding himself together with hatred. He's just too angry to die, which I love. But uh, basically, the whole philosophy is: you go too evil, you sacrifice your humanity for more power, and you keep you know, and you sacrifice everything, and it just becomes the sake of power. You go too good. You sacrifice your humanity for the greater good, and you end up lo- like still losing your humanity. And the idea is finding something in the middle. So, is there a true ending, um, middle way ending? No, <laughs> and that's the problem. That's uh, that Lucas Arts was like, "All right, we'll let you question us, but you, but ending is goody good or bad bad." <laughs> and that's the biggest letdown in the game is there is no neutral ending. There is no. All right, you write, you know, and uh, it's it sucks, but it is a cool, it is still a cool idea, a deconstruction of the character, and then ultimately, awesome. with with uh, with Kreia, and obviously she plays she her her dialogue, her feelings towards you uh, shift depending on if you're going light or dark side. A big thing, inclusion to Kotor two is there's an influence system where as you as you speak to certain companions and do things they like they'll you know, they'll like you more and open up to you more if they do things you don't like and stuff like that they'll they'll you know be like oh yeah this guy I hate this guy but um one of the big things is that Kreia has a point but she's still evil she's mm. still an ex oh you mean the best kind of villain the yeah, best kind of villain yeah, exactly and i think that's one of the reasons why Kreia is so beloved is that you know and and they actually, and I believe HK says it. HK shows up in uh, in the sequels, and he, they just shit all over Malik as a character in <laughs> in the sequel, where he's just like, yeah, he's this big dumb stupid meatbag, and like such an idiot, and oh my god, what a loser! And I just, I love that. I love that they even sneak that into the writing, where it's like the main villain. Do they make fun of the fact that he's in a red skin tight bodysuit and a loincloth? Because that's also pretty dumb. <laughs> It is pretty dumb, but for uh, for context, uh, Malik, Darth Malik, is the original meatbag. He is the first person he calls a meatbag because <laughs> and Revan loses his shit, and then and then basically HK calls all humans meatbags from going forward, which I think Aww. is beautiful addition to That's the canon. Amazing. But 
but yeah, basically, that's one of the things that makes Kreia so interesting is that she is a villain who is correct. She's evil and she's willing to sacrifice billions of lives to do, to do what she wants to do, but she is super evil at the end of the day. She's still a baddie and you gotta either deal with her as the, the goody two-shoes or go the dark side and go, let me just strike down my master and become the new baddie. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, yeah, and then yeah, like the other two villains in that game too, Darth Sion and Darth Nihilus, they're also greatly interesting deconstructions of the Force. As we mentioned, uh, Zombie Boy is Darth Sion, and he's basically held himself together through the Force. He is just like rotting flesh on a skeleton and cannot die, but has become a slave to his own power. And, uh, and then Darth Nihilus is a ghost, almost an eldritch horror where he's basically just a force black hole that has no will of his own and just goes through the galaxy and just eats. And just and uh, I recently, as I mentioned, I recently did a let's play. I guess I said with a uh, with Wooly over on his channel, and we just referred to him as Hungry Boy. He's just <laughs> he's just a big old hungry boy, and he's just a big black hole who just sucks the life out of things and can just if there's enough force and enough jedi and enough force users gathered on a planet he just walks up and just goes and just sucks all the life out of the planet and all the plants all the animals and just leaves it completely dead to the force and uh what a great great and terrifying villain hell yeah um thank you for that breakdown because i would not be able to do that at all uh so yeah, the Kotor two comes out. Why do we not have a Kotor three? Uh, there was a canceled MMO G LucasArts project that was that is what spawned development on Kotor three using a lot of the designs and whatnot. They then wrote a story, designed most of the worlds and several of the quests, characters, and items. However, the game was canceled in two thousand four by LucasArts as they changed their overall strategy for Star Wars games. Moving forward, we, yeah, Battlefront Two kind of became where they wanted to be. Yeah, going. they wanted those microtransactions. Yeah, they didn't want to make a very popular, obscure genre. They wanted to make a very popular general hit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's- basically, the the uh, the the answer to most of this is, oh, but money though, <laughs> but money, right? But yeah. So yeah, Bioware's first attempt at an MMORPG, uh, again, speaking of getting that uh, money, uh, and mm-hmm. it was the second attempt for a Star Wars one of these, the, there was uh, Galaxies before it, uh, was the Star Wars The Old Republic, and it was at the time the most expensive game ever made, costing somewhere around 150 to $200 million. It was also the one, as I mentioned before, this was actually the one that set the Guinness record for largest entertainment voiceover project ever with over 200,000 lines of dialogue. It is set 300 years after the events of the two KOTOR games. Did you fuck with the Old Republic at all uh, in your experience or nah? I didn't, I didn't never even touch that. I have the founder title. I pre-ordered it uh, as of one of my three games I pre-ordered. Uh, three or four games I pre-ordered. I pre-ordered that. I pre-ordered Dead Space 3. I pre-ordered Dragon Age 2 and uh, I, I my last game I pre-ordered ever because apparently I didn't learn my lesson was Mass Effect Andromeda. Oh no. And, uh, <laughs> Mine was so, No uh, Man's Sky. My first and last oh, ever pre-ordered game ever 
No Man's Sky. Uh, yeah, definitely. You see, I should I should have learned my lesson at Dragon Age 2, but you see, I just <laughs> I had to try a couple more, and uh, now I'm very much like, you know what? I'll wait till it comes out. Till I and see one maybe review. We'll see. <laughs> yeah, maybe maybe we'll wait a little bit. Yeah, no, I played with it a lot. I played with it at launch. Um, I, okay, here's the thing. It's not a bad game. I think it's I think it's it gets a lot of hate cuz it's you know obviously it's following on the on the heels of Kotor 1 and Kotor 2 which are hugely beloved in the Star Wars in the Star Wars universe and I know there are some people who are super diehard fans of uh Sotor the Old Republic and uh, and of the MMO I I never I could never really get into it and it's unfortunate cuz yeah like as you mentioned like everything in the game is fully voiced including all your player characters and everyone you talk to Every quest is fully voiced, which is, at that time, was unheard of. That was, like, what? And, like, there's so many cool things built into the game. You know, you got your, uh, you have the morality systems back in, so you could be, like, a good Sith or an evil Jedi. Uh, you could, there was, uh, like, Star Fox-esque on-rail uh, fighter pilot sequences, you know, and then, of course, you had all your MMO trimmings and such, and it was basically marketed as, like, um, KOTORs 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, etc. But... Because it's an it went from RPG D and D pen and paper kind of style mechanics to just like WoW clone. I think a lot of people just didn't weren't just not into it, yeah. including myself. And I and I dropped it for years, and I came back to it years later when it became free. And I think it was a like yep. a double XP weekend, and I just took the Jedi Knight path basically again the the KOTOR 3, um, air quoting, plays really well for a podcast, uh, <laughs> path, and uh, just played through it, and I'm like, okay, so that's on par with, like, KOTOR 1 storytelling, maybe a little bit under. You know, it's like, it's pretty bog-standard Star Wars story. Enjoyed it. Some cool things they do later on with the expansions, but... Revan comes back. <sighs> Revan comes back, and uh, so does the Exile, the main character of... of uh, Kotor 2, and uh, they kind of get done dirty. Uh, the less we talk <laughs> about them, the better. And uh, I, I, I keep that in the same mindset as the sequels of like, yeah, we're just going to pretend all of that was like someone's fan fiction that got a budget, and we're just going to go with like, no, let's keep asking what happened to Revan and the mysteries of what's going on, and we'll just pretend they Whenever never actually Revan's answered Whenever Revan's not it. on camera, people should be asking, where's Revan? <laughs> where's Revan? <laughs> exactly. Um, all in all... It's good. It's not great. It's not KOTOR 1. It's not KOTOR 2. And I think that it's... I, I mentioned earlier before where I would rather play a 1 or watch a 1 out of 10 than a 5 out of 10. Yeah. And I think The Old Republic is like a 6. Mm. It's good. It's not bad. But right. it's not... It's not, oh, this is atrocious. I love it. Yeah. This isn't deadly premonition. Yeah. This, But this isn't like, you know... Mass Effect 1 and 2. Right. Like, this isn't like, oh, oh, the best. Of, it's just like, it's okay. And, you know, for all its credit, it's still running. It's still going. There's still great stories in there. If you want your Star Wars, if you want your Star Wars filled, there's stuff in there. But all in all, it lost me super hard. I hope they get, I hope they do a, a, a KOTOR 3 at some point. I think, I think people would really jump on it at this point, especially with the way that active uh, battle 
turn-based battle system have evolved. I, I, you know, maybe even if they even went for more like an FF7 remake approach to it, I would even mm-hmm. be open oh, to that. Oh, that'd be incredible. But uh, yeah, mm-hmm. I, I, I do hope something happens with it. Also, I want to give a shout out. There is a Dark Horse comic book series that came out after the games that's set eight years prior to the events of the games uh, as well. That seems to be pretty beloved. There's a lot of where you learn why Revan's mask is a Boba Fett ripoff. <laughs> Quite literally, but <laughs> <laughs> he literally ripped it off a of Boba Fett. Um, All right. Oh, uh, before we go, I need to answer. I need an answer to this. Uh, please, James. Please, Mister Little V. What is better, a critical strike, a power attack, or a flurry? Because most of my game is picking between these three seemingly identical choices. Let me reply to your question with another question. Are we talking Kotor one or Kotor oh. two? One, I guess. I was in our playing situation. Kotor one. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so in KOTOR 1, uh, Flurry. Just get Flurry. flurry. More hits, more swings. The, the best the best build, if you just want mindless, I want to run through the game and not think about it, do two weapons and do specifically two lightsabers, not double-bladed, because then you can put extra crystals in and do even more damage. Uh, mm. Two weapons to get the extra hits in. You get your master speed, so you do the extra swings, and you do Flurry, and you do like six swings per, per round, and just... Go for that. Now, this is the, this is where it gets a little bit more interesting. In KOTOR 2, Power Strike does three times crit if it crits. Ah. Power Strike does not do that in, in the first game. Power Strike, mm. three times crit, and there is a crafting component in KOTOR 2 where you can make your lightsabers basically just crit sabers. So if you've got a really mm. good round and turn on, again, your extra hits and do your thing, you can hit like 500 damage. In, in where you'd normally be doing like 30. Hmm. It's it's if you just get really lucky. So I'm I would be power attack in the uh in in Kotor two and Flurry in Kotor one. Hell yeah. And that's my final answer and I'm sticking to it. And there it uh, is. please direct all all hate mail to uh <laughs> Little V Mills on Twitter. No. <laughs> no, actually yeah, this is the perfect time for that. Uh because this is the time to give us uh, your plugs. Thank you so much for joining us, Little V for on this show. This is amazing, and uh, I don't know... Hey, thank you for having me. I don't think this would have been close to as good without you, so uh, really appreciate it. Uh, Where can we find you? Where can we find your stuff? All right, so again, send all your (laughs) well-actuallys and hate mail, uh, because I'm I'm expecting... I'm I'm demanding it. it, it, He's he's on the dark side. It makes him more powerful. (laughs) It does make me more powerful. I did a hundred, almost near a hundred part LP. It only makes me stronger, guys. Um, So yeah, I am a little V or little V Mills. Uh, Little V was taken 10 years ago when I took the, the handle. Uh, and uh, you can Google me. I do music. I primarily the cover artist of like video game stuff on YouTube. You can find me there, youtube.com slash Mills. Also do originals. Also write for games as well, too. A couple little projects here and there. And uh, you can find me everywhere else, Little Mills on Twitter. Uh, I guess Instagram, although I haven't touched that in <laughs> God years. And uh, yeah, you ch- you'll find me. I do music. Just type in little V and all. Oh, also all your all your music platforms: uh, iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, whatever, whatever, whatever poison you pick. I am on there. Do a quick little search, and you will find me. And awesome. uh, yeah, I do the whole weedly weedly chugga chugga, and uh, and. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's great stuff. And uh, you can check me out twitch.tv forward slash holdenators ho uh, for my Twitch streams, Jake. Follow me on Twitter at BestJakeYoung. And of course, if you want to support the podcast, go to patreon.com slash whizbrew 
For $5 a month, you get access to all of our bonus episodes, a new one released every week. And uh, at higher tiers, you can take part in the Sunday study group where uh, on the Discord, you can join us as we will uh, open our openly. St- just you'll help us do our homework for the yeah, show. Yeah, we researched the, that we- topic that we're doing that week. And last week, everyone hung out while I played Kotor, and it was an awesome time. So I'm really happy. It was fun kind there. of a blast. I had a great, great time. What was that link one more time? Patreon.com forward slash Wizbrew. Uh, hey. Thank you so much for that, little V. And uh, hey, here's a little sign off from me to you. Always remember, never stop bruising and keep on whizzing. This show is made possible by listeners like you. Thanks to our ad sponsors. You can support our shows by supporting them. For more shows like the one you just listened to, go to lastpodcastnetwork.com. Listening to your favorite podcast? That's smart. Earning your degree online from Southern New Hampshire University, that's really smart. With 24-7 access to coursework, no set class times, and dedicated student support, you can go to school when and where it works for you. Low online tuition means you can even do it for less. And dedicated student support means we'll be with you from day one to graduation and beyond. Join a community of learners just like you. Go to snhu.edu today to start your free application. The legends are true. Overwhelming power. Sauce of destiny. Yes. The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of McDonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last.